Section 25 of Mounties in the News. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Lawrence. Taming the Wild Bronco by the New York Times. How the Wild West Steeds are Broken for the Canadian Mountain Police. Correspondence of the Toronto Mail. Regina, Northwest Territories, August the 9th. The center of attraction for the witnesses and others, now that the court has been adjourned for a few days, is Mr. D. H. Gillespie's livery, feed, and sales stables, because Mr. Charles Thibault has made it his headquarters for a few weeks, and every day is engaged in the exciting occupation of breaking broncos for the mounted police. Mr. Thibault has a ranch on the Sun River, Montana, about 250 miles south of Calgary, which is stocked with between 500 and 600 head of horses. Last year, he supplied the settlers here with 300 horses. This year, he has sold the police 25 head. His contract with the police is that the horses shall be thoroughly broken to the saddle. They start out on equal terms, said he, that is, the horse and the breaker one knows that he will be boss and the other thinks he will now the sooner the battle is over the better for both because after that they will be friends the operation of breaking although it would certainly be denounced by the royal humane society as cruel is very effectual a good breaker can train fifty horses a month and thinks nothing of it i spent the greater part of yesterday afternoon watching the operation and as many of your readers may be interested in it, I will try to describe it. A band of about fifty broncos was driven into a corral or enclosure connected with Mr. Gillespie's stable. Charlie, as Mr. Thibault is familiarly called among his friends, entered a few minutes later, mounted on a small snow-white bronco. He was dressed in true western style, and so was his wife. The latter wore the heavy Mexican saddle with high cantle and pommel or horn while two broad girths or cinches of horsehair strapped it firmly in place on the horn hung a lariat or lasso of horsehair the rider's limbs were encased in heavy leathern overalls or chaps while huge mexican spurs with rowels two inches in diameter jingled at his heels a huge sombrero shaded and at times almost hid his manly features as dashing around the corral he pursued the frightened animals all being ready charlie commenced operations gathering his lariat up in his left hand he adjusted the noose and then swinging it around his head dug the spurs into his steed and made a dash into the band off started the wild horses and round and round they dashed throwing their heads high in the air while their eyes flashed with fright as they attempted to dodge their pursuer his little pony seemed to enter into the sport with such as keen a relish as its rider. Guided by a pressure of the leg, for the use of the bridle rein was out of the question, it stopped or turned at the right moment. Charlie had singled out a beautiful dappled grey and chased it round and round several times. For an instant, and an instant only, its head rose above the others, but that instant was enough. With a swish, the coils of the lariat left his hand, and the noose fell over the head and neck of the grey. Suddenly the little white horse threw itself on its haunches. Charlie took a couple of turns round the horn, 
with what a sailor would call the fall of the rope, and the trap steed, with tongue and eyes protruding, came to a standstill. A noose of rope was then laid on the ground, and, turning his horse round, the breaker dragged the grey across. As soon as its forefeet entered the loop, a couple of assistants pulled it taut, and the grey was soon lying panting on its side. When sufficiently exhausted, its eyes were bandaged, a saddle placed on its back, and a huge, punishing bit placed in its now bleeding mouth. The captured animal, trembling in every limb, was led outside the corral, and Charlie mounted. The bandage was removed from its eyes. For an instant it stood looking from side to side as though dazed. Then, seeming to realize its position, it made a dash forward, and stopped as suddenly as though it had brought up against a stone wall. But the rider did not go over its head, and its amiable intention in this respect was frustrated. Then he tried another method. It began to buck, and just how bucking is performed is something I have never been able to thoroughly comprehend, although its effect on the rider will never be effaced from memory. To be brief, I may say that it is an attempt on the part of the horse to first shake the flesh from the bones of its rider, and then shake the skeleton to pieces. But the return to Charlie and his bronco, the latter, getting its feet together, arched its back and went up in the air about two feet, lighting on all fours with its limbs as rigid as iron bars. Again and again was this interesting part of the program repeated. The rider used rawhide and spurs unsparingly. Foam and blood flew from the mouth of the bronco. At last, seeing that it could not get rid of its tormentor, it made a wild dash out on the prairie, reared and began bucking again. At last, wearied with the exertion, it galloped back to the stable without any further attempt to fight its rider. The saddle and bridle were removed, and it was turned into the corral. Three or four such rides as that, said Charlie, will bring it to time. That beast will be worth $150 when it's thoroughly broke. Those that fight the worst at first are always the best. End of section 25